Hello listeners and welcome to a special edition of the Unions 21 podcast. I'm Simon Sapper. On the 27th of June, the US Supreme Court handed down a ruling in the Janus case. This was designed to hold US public sector unions below the waterline, attacking their organisation and their funding. What on earth could unions do? How could they respond? What are the lessons for us here in the UK? Was it a torpedo below the waterline, or was it, in fact, a huge own goal? To discuss all this, Unions 21 Director Becky Wright speaks with Ken Jacobs from the Californian Labour Centre. I'm with uh, Ken Jacobs. Ken, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? I am the chair of the UC Berkeley Labour Centre. We're a centre at uh, UC Berkeley that does research on labour and employment issues and that does trainings for union leaders. Okay, so it's kind of like a uh, a bit of a think tank, a bit of a training centre, a bit of a place for unions to meet. Yes, at, at the University of California, Berkeley. There's been a massive decision over in the United States in the Supreme Court, which is centred around the, the idea of uh, a worker be having to contribute to the collective agreement. I'm going to let Ken kind of go into a bit more detail about what, what that is in a minute. But I think it's really significant for UK unions. Most of us will be very, most of us will have the experience of the closed shop and the effect that the, that the loss of the closed shop had on us. And so as I think you kind of listen to kind of Ken's description, you'll be kind of thinking, yeah, but we're already here already. And I think it's just worth hearing kind of um, what the decision really was and what the impact was. And I think Ken and I are going to have a, a, a conversation about how the unions are going to adapt and what this really means. So, so Ken, can you just walk us through that decision, walk us through the Supreme sure. Court? Sure. So what the, the, the court case applied to public sector unions in the United States. And what we've had under a unanimous Supreme Court decision from 41 years ago that was authored by a Republican uh, in states that chose to go this direction was not closed shop, but agency shop. So the basic idea here was any public sector worker who chose not to join the union could could do so, but they would pay what was known as a agency fee or a fair share fee to cover the costs of collective bargaining and representation. All workers, regardless of whether or not they join the union, receive the benefits from collective bargaining. They receive the higher wages, they receive the better benefits, the, the workplace policies, and the union is required by law to represent them uh, in case of agreements. So the union incur, incurs real costs. And so the decision in what was known as the Abood case was that while workers could not be required to join a union, they could be required to pay a fee towards that cost, the cost the union has of uh, bargaining for them and representing them. And that could only, those, those, those funds could only be used for the costs of bargaining and representation and could not be used for, say, outside organizing or politics. So there was a, a, a clear distinction uh, between how the, the funds could use and membership dues, which are a little higher, could be used for those other things. Or unions also have political action committees to raise money for politics. So this court overturned that 41-year-old decision and said that uh, going forward, unions will no longer be able to require agency fee in the public sector. 
And what was the justification for that decision? I mean, it, you know, it was a decision was made 41 years ago. Everybody seemed kind of quite happy with it. Oh, well, not everybody. Um, <laughs> because somebody took, took the unions to court. But what was the the impetus for that? What were the um, reasons for the judgment to go from the... Well, first, in terms of the impetus, there have been... A, a, there's a, lo- a group of right-wing foundations and wealthy uh, billionaires who have been funding these conservative groups to do anti-union work in the United States for years. Uh, Groups like the Right to Work Legal Foundation, something called the Freedom Foundation and others that have been pushing policies both at the federal and state level to weaken unions, both in the public sector and in the private sector. And Uh, Labor law has been eroded in the United States such that it's very difficult, uh, much more difficult for workers to organize into unions in the private sector uh, at at this point. And so we're down to private sector union membership is down to 6.7% nationally. And public sector workers now make up uh, roughly uh, half of union workers nationwide. So you've got around 35% uh, union in the public sector. Yeah, not not too dissimilar from us. We've got well, we've got fifty six percent density in the public sector, thirteen percent density in the private sector. But the union movement as a whole, the majority of right. workers are public sector workers. So, after they've successfully gone after the private sector, and we've seen a big push for right to recently for right to work laws, which basically do the same thing in terms of banning uh, agency fees or uh, closed shop in the private sector, they began bringing in a series of legal cases going after public sector unions. And there had been earlier attempts on ballot initiatives in various states, which were beaten back um, by the unions. And so in the in the last four or five years, we've had a, a few rulings that were sort of leading in this direction. And the challenge was on um, First Amendment rights, saying that it was a violation of the free speech right of uh, Mr. Janus to have to pay a fee to a union to engage in collective bargaining for him under the theory that all activity of a public sector union, even collective bargaining, is inherently political because the if you're negotiating for more money from a government, then that is a political action. Or if the, what you're doing in your negotiations is around the conditions of work, then that effectively... That affects what the government does. And so they made the claim that all activity was was uh, political activity. And then to get around earlier rulings that have basically limited the right free speech rights of public sector workers, they made this claim that uh, being forced into proactive speech was a uh, much higher that money is speech. Doing proactive speech is a much higher bar than restricting speech. And uh, kind of came, uh, built themselves up to, to, to this conclusion. I mean, it's insane if you look at the at the courts and and puts forward some very dangerous precedents for for other potential rulings in the in the future. But basically, they you know, out of whole cloth, yeah. came up with a, a rationale in order to uh, to do this. And, and and again, it's it's part of this effort to weaken public sector unions. Some of that is just wanting to weaken unions overall. And the, the other thing is these same conservative groups are working to privatize public education, to reduce public services. Uh, you know, they want to 
drastically lower taxes, drastically reduce the reach of, of, of government. And the big obstacle they face in terms of going after public services, or one of them is that unions have been a powerful political force in supporting education in America and supporting public services in America. Yeah, it's, it's harder to get rid of the services when there is a, a vocal, uh, strong group right. advocating for them and putting forward the case for them. So if you get rid of the groups that are advocating, then it's easier to dismantle, sell off, that, that, give that's the contract correct. to your friend, and, all that kind of stuff. You know, and they want to go and fight in lower wages uh, as much as they can. You know, they, they business interests are very clear. Uh, you know, tend, tend to have a very strong, let's say, libertarian bent. And, and I just have to say, in context, this is one of a series of, of rulings by the, the the recent court that weaken worker protections. We also had a, a ruling in something called Epic Systems that says that non-union workers don't have the right to, to for class action lawsuits uh, if they sign arbitration. They, they can sign them away in terms of in, in, in arbitration agreements. So companies are saying as a condition of employment, you have to sign a mandatory arbitration agreement, and then basically you leave your rights at the door. Under our National Labor Relations Act, that it's always been clear that concerted activity is not confined to people who are in unions, but in this case, um, the, the courts have also went, went in that direction. So we are facing a pretty serious attack on employment and labor rights overall uh, by this conservative court. There was an irony to all of this for me because we took a group of British uh, trade unionists over to Sweden to talk to them about their the Swedish part model around collective voice and collective agreements. And we had really, you know, quite an inspiring time listening to some of the work they'd done. Literally, as the plane landed, I opened my phone up and went and and the decision had come through. And I just thought, God, this is so depressing. But also just how you can have ikea in sweden happy to sign up to collective agreements and have unions in place and then probably not over in the states and how poles apart a company like a global company like ikea could could be in and how difficult it is to do innovation and change when you're literally up against it as opposed to when you've got a bit of a an environment which enables you to do that, you can kind of, you know, push the boat out a little bit and try new union models and try new things. But I suppose the mother uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And so kind of what's been the union yeah, so reaction to th this? And this is not the first kind of like run we've had at this. This was expected this decision, uh, over a year ago. And in a previous case out of California called Friedrichs, and uh, Justice Anton Scalia died before the ruling came down, and so it ended up a 4-4 ruling. They couldn't make a decision, and it got pushed off to a new new court. So as unions have been anticipating this, what we, the public sector unions have really aggressively turned resources to internal organizing, to signing up new members. And so what we've seen is in, in the last year, an actual public sector unions have done, you know, it varies by union, by local, but a pretty strong job of increasing their membership, building up, uh, getting uh, new commitments onto cards, uh, bringing new members in. And I think there's a real recognition that in a world in which people don't have agency fee to fall back on, that they need to play a much more 
uh, active uh, role in recruiting members and engaging members, that if they're going to be operating on less money, then the only main force mm. of power is going to come from having uh, an active and engaged membership. I, you know, I have to, to, to note one of the uh, arguments in the Supreme Court, of course, I mean, we're in a world now and where you know unions have to will have to represent people who uh, they don't receive any uh, funding from. And so the whole free rider question was a big issue in the court case. And of course, the the Justice Alito who wrote the decision does a big thing denying that. And the 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 legal groups who ran the Janus camp, uh, case, you know, uh, argued against that notion that it would be a big issue. And at the very same time, the same people like the Koch brothers who funded the Janus case are funding something called the Freedom Foundation that is canvassing workers encouraging them, urging them to leave their union and basically making the argument that they can free ride. So the, the, the sort of the, the depths of uh, cynicism here are, are, are quite astounding. I mean, it's interesting because we don't have an obligation to represent, individually represent someone where there's a collective agreement. So, you know, yes, you get the collective benefit of pay increases and holidays and policies, but you don't get the, you're entitled to have a friend. There is a footnote. Um, but you're not entitled to have a union. There's a footnote in the ruling, footnote six, um, which, so in that- imply, which implies that it may be possible for unions <laughs> to charge non-members uh, for the costs of representation if they do agreements. So that, that hasn't, no, no one's really kind of figured out what that means. It's clear in the ruling that they have to continue to provide that representation. Oh, uh, but there, there may be an out in terms of being able to, to charge for it. I think the, the difficulty here, and I, I'd be interested in how that plays out in, in your case is unions historically have not wanted to have uh, bad rulings or in, in grievances that could then serve as precedents uh, when things come up for members. So there is a, a double-edged sword there. But uh, it is kind of amazing to be put in a place where it says, you know, you have to put it, use your resources to represent somebody and they don't have to do anything. Yeah, because you, yeah, I mean, because for me, I think that's, I mean, we do have a free riding problem. I mean, no doubt about that. But it seems bizarre to me that you could get away with being represented, not only have your terms and conditions negotiated on your behalf, but also be represented and you not to have to pay <laughs> anything towards it or not to have to contribute to anything towards it. Talk about like a everything right. for nothing. <laughs> I right. just, it, to me, it feels very kind of Trumpian. Oh, and, and the Freedom Foundation is, <laughs> they do things like the, you know, the the, their message to public sector workers is give yourself a raise by stopping to pay your union dues. Um, now, some of the some of the good news here is because the unions have really been pushed oh. into to a position oh. of God. both recruiting and bringing what. in mem members oh. and defending that membership. Thus far, we're not seeing a lot of signs of success. The uh, Freedom Foundation sent out, I think, 56,000 emails to workers in Orange County and Los Angeles, and uh, a little over 100 uh, dropped their membership as a result. On the other side, we're hearing from uh, 
teachers unions and others that just as the news of Janus has gone out and as the union sent notices out, uh, just on the day of the court ruling, a number of people signed up for union membership. And so... Sorry, I was going to say, it's funny because um, the government tried to... to d- not this government, the last government, it's still a conservative one, tried to stop civils, the ability for civil servants to pay by via their salary and they had to pay by direct debit. It was amazing how the the impact of that meant that the union had to, one of the unions had to kind of like do, make a concerted effort to actually go out and talk to people and say, right, from this date, you'll no longer be covered unless you sign up via direct debit. And they actually got new members out of that. And it kind of always makes me think of when people talk about, well, we don't have union membership or union membership is really low, just how fundamentally it boils down to when you engage people and talk to people and you give them a really compelling reason to join, they join. Especially if they trust their, the person who's asking them. And so you, you kind of, I like that hope that um, even though this decision is here and it's really tough for those unions and they're going to have to work it out, the very fact that they've been engaging with people means that there's a there is a res- a potential for resurgence i don't know am i being too optimistic there are reasons for optimism i you know at this point you know you, you have to have hope and push forward with Gramsci pessimism in the intellect optimism of the will <laughs> usually i depress people but then i have all these madcap moments of like kind of trade union aspiration for everybody. <laughs> I mean, but on, seriously, on the positive side, it, polling in favor of unions has gone way up in the in the United States recently. There's there's really a sort of resurgence of interest and support for unions. It's especially high among younger workers. We've seen some real uh, the actions recently where we had walkouts by teachers and a number of the conservative states uh, that, that not only don't have agency fee, but don't even allow public sector collective bargaining, uh, where teachers walked out, stayed out, and forced uh, solutions in terms of getting raises and getting more money into the, into the schools uh, through the political system. And what was important there is in, in, they didn't just push for raises for teachers. They were going across the board, and it wasn't just their salaries, it was making that connection to, to having good quality public education and fighting for the other resources that are necessary to keep schools going. And I think we're seeing uh, uh, some very interesting work here, the Chicago Teachers Union uh, around bargaining for the public good, where they really brought in the Parent Teachers Association, the, you know, the parents groups and the communities into the bargaining and demanding that schools be kept open in low-income areas. And so I I think there really is, there there are good reasons for hope, even on the uh, uh, intellect side here, uh, because, you know, we look at that kind of activity and the possibility of really building those broader coalitions. So I I think there's a big question of, of what goes forward. When we look at the states that have gone through this in terms of passing laws weakening unions recently, it's a mixed bag. Some like Wisconsin, we saw a real decline in union membership. They passed pretty draconian laws that really limited uh, ability to bargain. And so it's hard, you know, 
I'm going to pay this money and they can do very little for me. Um, but in other states that have done this direction in terms of going towards uh, agency fee or going right to work, in some cases we've seen less uh, of an impact. There's some broader concerns um, or, or questions is, is what it means for politics. And you may have seen Donald Trump's sent out a tweet and said, you know, this will hurt the coffers of the Democratic Party. And and to the degree that public sector unions are spending more time, energy, and money internally, there's a question of how does that play in politics? On the one hand, if that time, energy, money spent internally is really mobilizing and activating the base and, and has people out and engaged, that could increase unions' influence. But to the degree that it forces people away and putting resources into, into uh, engaging in policy and in politics, that could have, uh, that could hurt. And so I think that is, is really a question. And it, it's just important to note what a h- important force labor is in, the, in, uh, in terms of progressive public policy in California over the last number of years, really with, with serious union leadership, the state has passed a $15 minimum wage that'll put $23 billion into the pockets of low-wage workers when fully implemented. That's annually uh, paid sick leave policies, policies to address wage theft, sexual harassment on the job, health and safety, and efforts to uh, raise taxes on millionaires in order to fund our public schools at a time when during the recession we were looking at massive cuts. So the, the, I think there's a big question about how all this plays out and the ability of, of unions to, to maintain that engagement. And I think the way it will have to happen is through an engaged membership. Um, so overall quite a nasty decision, but not the end of us unions it's just going to require a bit of adaption and a focus on engaging people where they are really i suppose right it is it is <laughs> it'll hurt it's not the end um i i don't think it's quite the devastating blow that some have described it but it's going to take a real adjustment and i think some unions some locals uh, are better uh, placed to make those adjustments and some are going to suffer. I think we'll see real geographic differences in, in what happens. It's not going to be an easy time, but overall uh, in the United States right now, the need for resistance is great among many different fronts. And um, this is going to be an important part of it. Oh, well, like everything, there is a, a family of of union members globally who are happy to share thoughts and ideas and help you guys through this very difficult time. I sound like I, you, everybody's died and I'm consoling you, but you, everybody knows what I mean. So anyway. <laughs> Ken, thank you very much for your time today. And um, just so, so that listeners can go over and see all the really good work that you do. What's the website for your center? Uh, Laborcenter.berkeley.edu. Yeah, it's really good guys. If you like our, Unions 21 site, which of course everybody does, uh, you'll, you'll love theirs as well. It's kind of um, got the same sort of stuff, but from a US perspective. All right. Thanks very much, Ken. Bye. Unions 21 director Becky Wright was speaking with the director of the California Labour Centre, Ken Jacobs. It's funny, isn't it, that Janus, the name of the guy on whose behalf this case was brought, was also the ancient Roman god of beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, endings usually depicted as having two faces. It's not all bad news. There is more than a glimmer of light 
in what can sometimes seem to be a very dark night. As ever, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast. We're very grateful to you for your company. If you like what you hear, if you don't like what you hear, if you've got ideas about what we should cover more of or what we should cover le- less of, we'd love to hear your views. We'd love you to be part of the conversation. Email us at info at unions21.org.uk. Until the next podcast, this is me, Simon Sapper, saying thanks for listening and goodbye. The Unions 21 podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. It was a Makes You Think production.